Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Stories of Selling Human podcast. It's uh, season three. I'm your host, Alex Smith, and I started this podcast, you already know, because I believe everyone in the world will someday be faced with a situation, could be business, could be personal, that requires you to create change. I think we all want to be heard, seen, and understood, but the people who get our attention and convince, persuade, or influence us, they're not just salespeople. There are great humans throughout all walks of life that we're drawn to. I'm going to share their stories here so we can tap into what makes us human, practice our human skills, and ultimately, we'll all become better at selling by being human. All right, gang, this is a a special guest. This is someone I've known for a long time on LinkedIn. Uh, This person... Uh, you know, is doing a lot uh, in sales. He's, you know, his full-time job is a commercial sales representative for a company called Security Scorecard. He is also a co-founder of an awesome community called the Practice Lab and an awesome, you know, just tool and organization and group uh, for, for sales uh, reps. It's really the first ever training community for sellers that are just ready to develop their skills, just like athletes, performers, and musicians do with theirs. And I'm so excited to welcome none other than Jonathan Mahan to the podcast. Welcome, Jonathan. <laughs> hey, man. Thanks for that intro. I feel like I just need to do something equally as exciting, explosive in advance, but I got nothing, so I'll just say hi. <laughs> <laughs> well, I- I'll do it for you. I think what you're going to say is is going to be explosive um, and, and what you're doing with <laughs> this lab is, you know, I, I was really drawn to you. I know you reached out to me for a lot of different things. I know we were kind of talking beforehand. We're going to dig into a lot of different things because as I say in my intro, we're going to practice our human skills. And that's what you're uh, doing a lot of with the practice lab. And we were talking about how interested we are in this conversation, just about, you know, just these, you know, sometimes they're, they're hard for people to really put into practice, uh, salespeople to really grasp on them to, uh, to train on things like, empathy and curiosity and building trust and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, some of these skills that people call soft skills, you know, can they be practiced? How can they be practiced? And some of those innate human skills that, you know, I think we all have, we're going to dig into that today. Before we do that, though, I I always ask people at the top of this thing, when you hear this podcast, and you know, you were interested in it, kind of drew you to it. When I say the term to you, Jonathan, you know, to, you know, to, to sell something by being human, what does that uh, mean to you? What does that signify to you? And, 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 and uh, tell me what comes to mind when you hear that term. To me, I feel like that's really about understanding humans, how humans think, how humans feel, how humans make decisions, understanding on your own side, how humans communicate right? And how you can influence how people feel and how people think. And it's basically making sure that your approach to trying to influence someone, trying to bring about change um, is very much in alignment with that person's basic human needs of what they need to feel good and what they need to feel safe and what they need to be able to make this decision, right? So it's very much focusing it Sometimes I almost imagine us as, you know, anthropologists or scientists just studying people. They're like, okay, so how do people work? So what makes people dig in their heels? So what makes people let down their guards? So what makes people feel confident? What makes people feel like they're overwhelmed and just don't want to make a decision because there's too much information in front of them? And like really studying those systems and those patterns, those inputs and outputs um, and adjusting your selling style to match that so that you know you're giving them everything they need to feel good about the situation and the decision, everything they need to make their decision easier, everything they need to make sure they're actually, you know, making the right choice for them. So it's just aligning your selling process with the way the human brain, mind and body actually works. Yeah. And, you know, I, I like how you say that because, you know, we're just, you know, we're aligning, we're kind of think of it like anthropologists, like we're thinking like every, I always like to think of, of, of someone across the table as me is, you know, they're, they're so much more alike than me than not. And, you know, to get inside someone's you know heart and their minds, it's, it's really just, you know, trying to just, you know, first lead with that intention of, you know, just, you know, genuinely trying to actually know the person that that is not the uh, persona or the product uh, that, you know, you're trying to, uh, you know, that you assume that they want, but really trying to to know that person at a deep level and, and understanding yourself too, and how that aligns with the person on the other side. There's a whole psychology behind that. So, 
you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, help me understand me, maybe you as a seller, maybe before you got your first sales job and maybe, you know, where you maybe, you know, when you look back at your life, you know, maybe where you, you know, learned a little bit about people, how to interact with people, you know, throughout your life, you know, who, who was a great people person in your life, somebody that people were just drawn to? Where did you learn some of the things that you think served you well to really understand the psychology of how to, you know, really understand how people work? Yeah, that's a good question. So I'm someone who all growing up had terrible social skills, right? Hardly ever talked to anyone, um, never came out of my shell because, you know, part of it was traditional like nervousness, but even to an extent, I didn't even necessarily feel all that nervous. I just had no idea how to talk to people, how to start a conversation, how to take someone from stranger to acquaintance to friend. Like the 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 the, the game, right? The rules of the game weren't known to me. I had no idea how to do this. So I just I just didn't. I just did nothing and talked to no one. Um so it's surprising that I ended up in sales. I kind of was forced into sales <laughs> because I needed a job. And of course, you know, those shitty sales companies that are all commissioned, barely pay anything. They'll hire anybody. So I had to take one of those jobs because that's all I, I had. And um, through the process of having to do that, I started to learn the patterns, the games, how it's done. Right. And again, I don't, I don't say games in like a negative way, just as far as, you know, a, a, a game in this context, it's just a system where there's inputs and outputs and rules and cause and effect and patterns to be learned. So I had to learn the game and I would say I was helped in that. And that I also took like an AP psychology class in high school, which was like a really big pivotal moment in my life, because up until then I was observing people, I was noticing things, but I, I wasn't really putting together patterns of why people did what they did. Then taking the psychology class, which is very eye-opening for me of like, oh my goodness, there are patterns behind it. There's reasons people do these things, these tendencies I've always observed, but never understood. Now I understand them. And that really opened the door to me that this whole like puzzle of human behavior isn't entirely random. It's governed by a lot of patterns, a lot of rules, a lot of inputs and outputs. And if you learn those rules, you can play the game better. So for me, it was like, okay, I don't naturally have any of these skills that a lot of people have for connecting and making people like you and talking to people and starting a conversation. Just naturally had none of that. So because I didn't have any natural skills, I had to become a student of the game. And I had to really understand how people worked and how people made decisions and how people, you know, got good feelings and bad feelings about people and how to make, how my word choices and voice choices and body language choices, how all those things made people feel. And I had to learn those things. And again, having a sales jobs, I had to learn it even faster because my income depended on learning, on learning it. So that's again, you know, kind of in the first question you asked me, I, I brought elements of this to the table as well in my answer. So that's kind of how I've always viewed sales. I've never been someone maybe now with enough practice is getting to this point. But for most of my life, I was never with someone where there was any sort of like natural ability, any unconscious ability where, you know, I just kind of naturally knew the right thing to do or say, not at all. Like every word I ever spoke had to be calculated <laughs> and decided like, okay, what should I do in this situation? And I was very much aware of what I was doing, aware of when I was going, doing the right thing and aware of when I was doing the wrong thing. And that's just kind of been my style in sales all along. Um, is if you, you know, have me watch one of my sales calls, I could point out to you exactly where I went, where I did the right thing and where I went wrong. Cause I understand how these patterns work because again, I don't have any natural gut feeling telling me what to do. I think now I'm getting there now that I've been in sales a decade, right now, my unconscious mind is starting to take over sometimes and just tell me what to do, even though I don't always understand why, but uh, it didn't used to be that way. It really does fascinate me when people can go like there are people out there that are like, you know, I just I'm I'm not born somebody that's been good with people. Like you said, you know, maybe you're just, you know, kind of like your tendency is to skew more as an introvert and, you know, you get, you know, comfort uh, or energy, so to speak, from kind of being in solitude and things like that. You know, I, I really kind of view, you know, sometimes people you know, it's, it's very easy for people to kind of lean on that as like, I'm just not, you know, uh, a life of the party person. I'm just not X, Y, Z, or I'm just not that that's, that's a, that's for sales. You know, like there's somebody yeah. in an organization that's like the salespeople are all like, they're, the, they're the greatest with people. I want to get them on the phone and they kind of limit themselves. Cause they just, instead of like leaning on, you know, kind of, you know, 
the science of it, being a student of it, like, you know, again, it, you're, you're thinking like you're selling, uh, maybe that's, that's daunting to you. But if you think it, you're just understanding how people make decisions or understanding, you know, like uh, someone's emotions or being able to label someone's emotions or being able to like, kind of, you know, kind of, um, you know, have your eye on, you know, certain words being said or mannerisms or just knowing how those things affect, you know, all these other things and, you know, actions and behaviors. That's, you know, just at the core some people, you know, that are great at selling, just do it innately, but it's something that you can certainly learn. There's skills to be learned, you know, uh, for someone who is, that's not their full-time job. So, you know, what are, like some, you, you, you talked a little bit about like, um, you know, some of those things in psychology, like if you know, if you understand some of these things, you can understand how the game is played. And so, so I mean, can you point to maybe some things that, you know, that were helpful, like once you learn them, like some things that you took from that psychology class and maybe applied them in your real life? Any, any examples of like certain situations that you feel like either were helpful, whether it was dealing with your friends or family or going out to dinner, that sort of thing. Like, how, how do you think that psychology career maybe didn't set you up initially for a sales role, but, you know, anything that you kind of applied, you know, yourself afterwards, like after, after understanding some of those concepts and maybe what were some of the concepts that you, yeah. that you learned? Yeah. I mean, one thing that I think I've applied to my everyday life is people like to feel seen, heard, and understood people like to talk about themselves. And generally when you meet people, right, one of the best ways to make them like you is to not talk about yourself at all. And instead to keep directing the conversation back at them in particular to ask them questions, right? When they share like, oh, I like skiing. Don't just say, oh, cool. I like skiing too. Say, oh, really? Why do you like skiing so much? When did you start skiing? How often do you go skiing? Like just kind of using that curiosity to turn whatever they say back towards them um, rather than doing what again was oftentimes natural is when they say something about themselves, you respond by saying something about you. Right. So that's, that's, that's one thing, right. Just that understanding of how much people like to talk about themselves and how you can make people, you know, have a better experience of conversing with you by focusing on them. Um, you know, some simple things, you know, when it comes to understanding the human mind is learning about, how the human mind makes comparisons between things and how the human mind makes value judgments about things. Um, is this new piece of information that just hit me a good thing or a bad thing or a mediocre thing? And of course the tone you use can deliver that. You know, I, I worked in, in a retail setting and oftentimes had to deliver bad news to folks, but I learned that depending on how I deliver the bad news could affect how they perceive it, right? Do I perceive it as simple matter of fact procedure or do I present it as, Oh my goodness, you're going to hate this. Um, so that's part of it. You know, even simple things like price anchoring, right? That's a pretty simple concept. You know, if you if, uh, if you want to sell someone a 20K contract, you probably shouldn't come in telling them, well, we can go as low as 15, but we like to do 20, right? You would do better to say, hey, full price is 30, but I can probably get you down to the low 20s is how you want to present that. So that's an example uh, of it. Yeah, I think you go on and on, but there's just, you know, minor things like that where you get to understand people and, uh, and how they work. And I would say um, another thing that's, come to the surface for me recently, which wasn't even covered in that psychology class, but is really interesting when it comes to how people work is the impact that your listening can have on the speaker. And again, this is something I ever learned in, um, until recently, but it's been mind boggling to me how just the way I show up in my listening affects the way someone speaks to me, um, the level of detail they go into the level of transparency that they show, um, all that is tied into simply how I listen, which is, again, has been fascinating to, to, to learn and to practice. Yeah, that's, you know, th th some people struggle like with, with, you know, knowing like concepts behind how to listen, how to do, you know, active listening is a huge category and you know, being able to like confirm or, you know, kind of restate something back to somebody and just to pause and just to kind of, you know, summarize things. You know, some people don't like consider it listening, but, you know, listening is so, it, it just shows someone again that like you're present, you're, you're, you're not just hearing what they say, but you're, you're, again, it's demonstrating so many other things uh, than just, you know, the actual physical act of listening. It's actually 
communicating, you know, yes, curiosity and, and it's, you know, working to build trust with someone because they feel like, okay, I can tell this person something because they actually do care about me, just me in the moment. They want to get it right. They, they're really trying really hard to get it right because half the time we think we, we assume so much, you know, salespeople are the worst offenders a lot of times because we hear something and we just automatically, you know, think we know exactly what someone's saying. Um, but maybe they can't, I find a lot of times, even just recently, people don't know how to articulate what they want. Um, and so then, you know, we hear the wrong things without mm-hmm. really, you know, digging into helping them you know, kind of, you know, sift through like it work, you know, we're there to kind of help kind of like unclutter their minds, you know, really, because they, they yeah. really don't know what they don't know. And so listening, you know, half of it is really just helping to, you know, help someone, you know, help someone, you know, maybe articulate or kind of understand their problem in a way, in a, in a little bit different way or explain it in a different way. Because when the best feeling is when someone goes, oh my gosh, like you said that perfectly, or like, I'm so glad what you, like, that's exactly what I meant, or that's, that's, that's so true. Like, thank you for saying that, or, you know, yes, you nailed it. Like, that's like the best feeling in the world. I don't know what you, you think about that, but. Yeah, no, it's very interesting you bring up of, you know, oftentimes folks don't know what they don't know. They don't know what they want. They don't know how to think about the situation. The other thing I would say is that even if maybe they possess all that capability. Oftentimes when a buyer comes to us, they just haven't had the freaking time to sit down and really think about it. Right. Like sometimes the best thing you can do for them, discovery calls, give them a 30 minute window of their calendar where they can think about and talk about their situation without any other distractions. Right. Because again, they don't oftentimes have have time for that. There's there's within that kind of realm. I think there's two things that salespeople can really do to help buyers better understand what they need, what they should be looking for, et cetera. One is taking the knowledge you have from serving in this particular niche and ask really targeted questions that you know are going to be relevant to them. For example, right? If you're selling a solution and you know from working with customers that integrating that solution with Salesforce makes a world of difference in actually applying it. And not only does it save time, but it actually makes it so that the SDR team using the tool actually uses the tool. And you know from experience that if they don't integrate with Salesforce, it's going to be a really tough uphill battle to get the SDRs to actually adopt the new technology. If you know that, you can ask some questions to bring that out, right? You can ask some questions like, hey, have you given any thought to how the SDR team might respond to this piece of technology? How have you, what experience have you had in the past with rolling out technology and getting the reps to adopt a new tool? What have been the barriers? How important do you think integration with Salesforce might be in getting the team to adopt it, right? You can lead them down that path with your questions because you already know from experience that's going to be an important factor. And the person who hasn't yet bought this solution before might not know that. So that's one piece. And that's where you have some industry knowledge, right? And of course, you get better and better this the longer you're in the role. Um, I think that when you're onboarding new sellers, that type of information should absolutely be part of the onboarding, right? Um, otherwise, they have you know it might take them a year and a half to figure that out. However, the other piece of that, you don't have to have any industry knowledge at all. Literally, Alex, I'm going to go ahead and be so bold as to say, if you were to put a prospect in front of me from the company you work for, Dochebo, I could probably ask them some dang good questions to help them understand their situation, even though I don't even really, I've never served your space. I don't fully know what your product does. I don't understand the lives of them. Just using my natural human intuition, curiosity, empathy, I can just ask questions. For example, when they say, it's been really frustrating recently, I can ask a simple question like, ooh, what's been frustrating about it? To go a little bit further, right? When I hear them say two things that sound like maybe they oppose each other, like, I don't know, we have these priorities they mentioned earlier in the conversation, but then later in the conversation, they mention something else as a priority. I can notice that mismatch. I can bring their attention and say, hey, wait a minute. You've listed these two different things, both as being priorities. How do those two relate to each other? Are they conflicting with each other? And I can ask these questions to, again, help them understand the situation, even if I don't know anything about the product that I'm selling, just by tuning into empathy and curiosity and by doing really deep listening, not just listening to the things they say to make sure I understand what they're saying to me, but really taking the information they give me and using it to almost construct what I like to think of as like a mental model of their world, Right. And what happens when you do this type of listening, not only are you just taking in the information, okay, they said this, they said this, they said that, but you're putting each piece of information in its proper place in their world. 
and you start to notice gaps. You start to notice, hey, wait a minute, you said A and C, am I correct that B is probably true too? And that's when you get that experience you mentioned, Alex, where people are like, yes, what a great question. Oh, thank you for asking. It's because again, you're not just passively receiving information. You're just not just making note of what they're saying. You're taking the information, you're putting it into its context. And that's when you start to notice inconsistencies. Hey, you told me this, but you told me this. How can those things both be true? It's when you start to make inferences, you know, if A is true and C is true, so must B. And this is really where you can make someone truly feel listened to. And this is where you can really do a service for your customer because again, they haven't really had the time to think about the situation this thoroughly. And oftentimes, you know, just the way our minds work, a lot of times we get stuck in these loops and we don't even notice the inconsistencies in our own thoughts. We don't even notice the gaps in our own narrative. And sometimes an outside mind can notice those things better. So I always think of like the discovery portion, if done well, can truly be a service that in some bizarre world people could even pay for, where it's like, oh my God, I know I need to make a change, but God, I just don't really know what that change is or why I have to make it or what's going to happen if I don't change. I just, I don't, I don't know all that. They could literally just pay a salesperson to sit down with them and ask them questions about, okay, what happens if you don't make the change? What happens if you do make the change? Which of those situations is more scary to you? Who else is going to be affected by this, right? Are you thinking about this more for future gains? Or are you thinking about this more to alleviate present problems? Like these type of questions, again, you can ask to, to, to anyone who's having to make a difficult decision or make a change. You don't even have to have industry knowledge or expertise. And these are the skills that when you start practicing these in the context of sales, you'll start to notice you suddenly become a way better conversationalist outside of sales. <laughs> like it's crazy. I, uh, a month or so ago, I, I met one of my neighbors down the road for the first time. And I, I was probably there talking to them for like two hours, which again, is crazy considering throughout all of high school, I probably only talked to people for a cumulative of two, of two hours. <laughs> so to talk to one person, a stranger, but it was the same idea. He, they would just keep talking about projects they were working on. And I'd ask more questions about why they chose that project. And you know, what about it? It's so interesting to them. And once you really tune into those, those human skills of curiosity and empathy and deep listening and asking you know, questions in an effective way, it, it, it really affects every area of your life. Yeah. I, I, I love, I, I still love so many things about what you just said. I, you know, I think, um, you know, making inferences and, you know, and just, you know, confirming them and, and just helping like, you know, kind of, kind of contrasting information and just, you know, kind of like charting out like you, you know, the whole experience where you're, it's almost like you were basically just creating a map on a wall of like what they told you and you were just filling in all of the like, you know, roads along the way and, yeah. and you presented it to them in your conversation and they're like, holy crap, you were doing that? Like, I didn't even know. Like you were just, uh, I was just telling you information and like, it shows like, again, a level of care and work and intention and, and focus on them. Cause I imagine like that two hour conversation, it doesn't go for that long unless someone's like, you know, unless you're asking like these opening ended questions and trying to like connect what they say and like kind of bring up new things. Cause, cause then you start earning the right to like bring up, Hey, did you think about this? Or like, if this is true and that is true, like, is this true? Or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really curious. So, you know, just kind of pivoting into what you do on a daily basis. So tell me a little bit about, you know, this community that you built, you are a co-founder um, you and Johanna have, you know, created this awesome community where I think, you know, had this existed when I was coming up in sales, I would have kind of like jumped at the chance because like sellers are learning for sellers and, you know, so many professions, right? Like, I, I think it's, you know, I mean, honestly, every, everyone in the workplace should have a community where they can actually practice skills. Like we, we, we kind of look at our resumes and we apply to jobs and we say, you know, I have these these are all my qualifications. I think qualifications and skills are different, you know, because you can have technical qualifications for a job, but like, you know, practicing a skill, whether, you know, I don't, I don't care. Like if you're a doctor or a salesperson or a, you know, a graphic designer or a marketer, like having, you know, how, how do you learn things if not for, you know, either one, learning them on the job where it's high stakes and, you know, yes, it's great to have experiential, you know, at bats, so to speak. But there are other ways you could do that with your peers in a lower stakes environment where you can, you know, you're, you're more comfortable to make mistakes. So walk me through that and, 
you know, kind of how that's set up and, and how you how you've seen, you know, reps actually practice some of these, quote unquote, like, you know, human skills, practice curiosity in, a, in an environment like that, where it's like so hard for someone to say, how, how do you how do you obtain that if, if you're not naturally curious like you were back in in the day where you were kind of, um, you know, just not great at, at stuff like that? Yeah. The program we've put together at the practice lab is really designed to help salespeople with those parts of selling that where there's a big gap between intellectually understanding the behavior, why it works, even being able to picture what it might sound like and actually having the skills needed to pull it off in real life. Right. Because there are some things that you can just learn it once you've learned it. Boom. Obviously, technology falls into this category, right? Once somebody teaches you that in Sales Navigator, you can set it up so that whenever your champion leaves from a company to a new company, you get an alert. Once you've learned that, you can do that, right? Even other things like, you know, really simple things like, hey, when someone asks you about pricing, here's like a six, six word sentence you can say to redirect the conversation. That there's a pretty small gap between hearing that and being able to do it. However, there are other parts of the sales process where that's not the case. For example, how many people tell you that, hey, during your demos, you really want to get the customer talking more rather than you doing all the talking? Hmm. Okay, great. What does that look like? How do I do that? Right? Or like, hey, when you hear an objection, don't immediately like rebut. Take some time to like get to understand their situation, their perspective first before you try overcoming it. Great. That makes perfect sense. And yet when you pick up the phone, they say, hey, we're not moving forward. We chose the competitor. What's happening in your brain in that moment? Right? Can your brain actually be calm or does your brain go off into a you know, crazy emotion panic response? Will your brain actually come up with questions for you to ask in response to that? Or are you just going to sit there going, uh, why though? <laughs> you, know? you can understand these concepts all day long. And yet when it comes to a real conversation, what do you do? I think probably the, the, the example I think about the most with this, though, is like around discovery, right? Every sales trainer out there, every sales manager out there, every book, every podcast says variations of the same thing. Don't stop at surface level pain. Dig deeper to really understand what's going on, the impacts, et cetera. And yet, when you're a salesperson on the call and you say, hey, you know, why did you look into a solution like ours? And they say, oh, you know, we just need a little bit more efficiency around our paperwork process. Spotlight is on you. What are you going to say next? Are you going to say, Oh, okay. Well, let me show you how we can help efficiency. Or are you going to dig deeper and ask questions? But in that moment, you don't have time to sit there and think about it. You got two seconds to say something. Can your brain actually do a good enough job of listening, do a good enough job of thinking, do a good enough job of, you know, reacting to situation to actually give you good direction on where to go next, what to ask, how to phrase it, et cetera. Like all of these things are skills. They're linguistic skills, they're neurological skills, they're emotional skills, but it's all tied up in the brain. And again, just gaining knowledge isn't really helpful. No more than gaining knowledge of how to do a backflip isn't helpful without actually having the skill to do a backflip. So the practice lab is focused on those moments. And truthfully, that's not every moment in the sales conversation, right? We have an interesting program where we do span, you know, everything from cold calling all the way up through negotiations and objection handling. So we do cover pieces of the whole sales cycle, but there is just tons of the sales process we don't cover in our program, nor will we ever cover in the program because there generally isn't a huge gap between knowing and doing. Once you know it, you can do it. Easy peasy. What we focus on is those pieces that you could know it all day long and still have a hard time executing a real sales call, such as some of the examples that I shared. And I think you had other questions, but I got sidetracked there a bit. So feel free to bring me back on course. <laughs> Yeah. You know, like, what's it look like? Cause I heard you on another podcast, you're on a John Barrow's podcast. And it's like, you, you know, he asked you like, can someone actually learn genuine curiosity? Because we think that this is like an innate skill. So I'm, I'm so curious. I've, I've, I've had this conversation with other uh, guests on the podcast. It's like, you know, can you really, you know, learn like things like empathy and curiosity, just being good at that, you know, because like I could give you, you know, like tactics on it, but like, you know, you, you hear this term, you know, some people just have a feel, they can read the room. They like, they just, they're, they, 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 something in their brain, they just pick up on these cues naturally. Right. But, um, you know, and I think for some of us, maybe that is true, but for others of us, like that, that may not skew to that rather than say, we don't have that trait. That's not us. We're not super empathetic. We're analytical. 
we're like, I'm an IT, I'm super analytical. I'm curious, like what it looks like in practice, you know, to teach someone curiosity or, you know, maybe empathy or, you know, kind of how do you, you know, do that where someone, you know, starts, you know, actually making a change because you actually have seen, you know, reps go through these processes and make changes. And I, I truly believe that, you know, there's practice labs going on. And like you said, all throughout our lives that we're not even tuned into half the time. We're dealing with the Starbucks barista or a flight attendant or, you know, whatever. And and then they're unconscious. Um, But yet we, we sometimes succeed and sometimes fail miserably. We just don't know what we're doing, like what, what we should be doing because no one's actually like coaching us. So tell me what it looks like in your, you know, in the practice lab of, you know, kind of teaching people these human skills and maybe people can, you know, kind of um, use some of these things, um, you know, if they're not in sales, they're just non-sales people, really. Yeah. Yeah, I can actually answer both empathy and curiosity in, in ways that you can practice them. So when it comes to empathy, it's really about training your brain, A, to just pay attention to emotional cues, right? Like oftentimes our brain is just simply not even looking for them. So it can't possibly pick up on them because it's not looking for them. So part of it is just training your brain to look for them. And then part of it is to training your brain on what they mean, right? And how to best interpret what you're seeing. So one of the best exercises I've seen for this is simply you sit two people down and they have a conversation, right? This could be a coffee shop or this could be a Zoom breakout room. And one person talks about something that they have some strong emotion for. Could be telling a story from their childhood. It could be talking about some political issue that upsets them. It could be talking about frustrations at work. It could be talking about upcoming vacation plans. They talk about some topic that they feel emotions about. And they talk for two or three minutes, tell a story. And the partner then stops, thinks about it, and guesses what emotions they were feeling. Right? I think when you said this, you were feeling this. And I think you said this, you were feeling this. And then the partner gives some feedback on, ah, pretty close. Actually, you think we'd feel that? but actually no, it was very different and you get feedback. So a, this again, just trains your brains to even just pay attention to emotional cues, right? Which again, that on its own is a huge step that most people don't bother with, but this exercise trains the brain to notice those things like that. But then the second thing is it gives you real time feedback on how you're doing, right? Maybe you interpret it as a pause to be hesitation, but maybe it wasn't. Maybe you interpreted fast speech to be frustration, but maybe it wasn't. Um, and it gives you feedback on, on basically the mental models you have in your brain for what nonverbals equal what emotions, what facial features equal what emotions, because you're getting that real-time feedback. So that's a simple exercise. Again, you can do this, friend, partner, colleague. You can do this in the practice lab. You can do this uh, at a coffee shop. Just guess the emotions your partner was feeling. And you can, again, make this even more elaborate. You can even guess things like, what emotions were you feeling right now as you told the story? And then guess what emotions were you feeling when the incident was actually happening? Because of course, those are often different, right? If I tell you a story about something my kids did where they made a big mess of the house, I might be feeling a lot of laughter and mirth when I tell the story, but obviously I was not feeling anything but laughter when I saw the flowers spread all over the kitchen, right? So again, you can advance the exercise by asking yourself more specific questions, but ultimately it's just some version of listen to someone talk, guess the emotions and get feedback real time on how close you were. And I will say there is actually an app out there that helps you do this. Um, it's called Jago, J-A-A-G-O, but it's an app with just like thousands of user submitted two minute, three minute videos. You watch their video, automatically a pop-up appears with a few questions. You answer it and it tells you whether the answer you gave matches the answer the storyteller gave when they submitted the story. So mm-hmm. I used that for like three to four months when I started my last sales job, just to kind of sharpen the, sharpen the empathy saw. That's a weird analogy to use, but you get the idea. <laughs> the empathy saw has changed. So machete because of your video. <laughs> Sharpening the empathy machete. That's right. So there's empathy. Um, on the curiosity side, similar. Uh, this isn't anything that you like pretend, anything you role play. This doesn't even have to be anything involving sales. And in fact, in the practice lab, when we practice these soft skills, we don't do role plays. We don't even position the conversation in the context of a selling setting. We really just take two people, put them in the breakout room and say, okay, be your real selves. Here's the type of conversation you should have. So with curiosity, part of it is, again, just paying attention to what curiosity feels like and giving your brain and mind the freedom to follow the curiosity wherever it goes. So when we start training curiosity, that's where we start. It's really simple. It's like, all right, hop in a breakout room. Have your partner, I don't remember what prompt to use. Sometimes I use prompts like, 
talk about, you know, their uh, goals for the next year. Sometimes it's talk about how their quarter's been going. Sometimes it's talk about a hobby, but we put in a real conversation with a real person with a kind of conversation topic. And then we tell the partner who's practicing their skills to simply just tune in to any time and they realize they don't know something that they kind of want to know, right? Anytime there's that gap between what's known and what's unknown and follow that. And it's strange. It's not rocket science, but even just that helps people to focus into what that feels like when they're curious. And it gives them some experience on how to direct and guide a conversation based on that feeling. But that only gets you so far. Beyond that, we'll have people kind of prepare in advance a list of areas they want to explore so that as they go through the conversation, if their natural sense of curiosity either isn't firing at all, or it's making them curious about kind of weird and pointless stuff, they can turn to this prepared list or this prepared map of topics they want to explore so they can go explore them. And it's one of those things where the first round, right, you're going to use that list very heavily because, again, your, your natural curiosity just either isn't going to be firing or it's going to be making curious about irrelevant stuff. So you'll be referencing the map or the list quite a bit as far as areas to explore, topics to cover. But after you've done exercise a few times, your brain starts to get the hang of it, and then you start to develop natural curiosity around those buckets or those categories. So just one example of this, right? One of the categories we have people explore and this is usually when we do an exercise where they're talking to their partner about a change the partner wants to make in their life. We have them explore kind of the time scale, meaning look back in the past and how this has affected them in the past. Look to today and how this is affecting them today and ask about the future and how either making the change would affect them in the future or not making the change would affect them in the future. But basically we have people explore the whole range of time as it relates to the change their partner's trying to make. So the first time you do the exercise, again, you might not have any natural curiosity going off in that area, but you turn to the list, you see that on the list and you go, oh, that's a good idea. Um, hmm, let me think of a question. How will this impact you in six months? Great. You did the exercise. You asked a good question. But the next round when you do it and someone shares with you that, you know, if you're interested in sleeping more, right, suddenly unbidden to your mind comes a tickle of curiosity where you're like, I wonder what's going on today that makes them want to sleep more. Or I wonder, is it their long-term health that's concerning them? Or I'm wondering if they've had to like, you know, cancel plans because they've been getting sick a lot because they haven't been sleeping enough. And suddenly you're actually natively, naturally curious about how this goal of sleeping more has affected them throughout time. So what was first like a, a crutch, having that list that you needed, generally it falls away and you now have natural curiosity that anytime someone talks to you about a change they want to make, there'll be this little bell that goes off in your brain that asks you questions like, hmm, are they talking about today, the future, or the past? And now suddenly you've built into yourself a little bit of natural curiosity around an area that's actually relevant, that actually matters. So again, in, in, our, in our lab, we'll generally give people like six of these buckets to explore, okay. throw them in conversations with their partners. And again, early on, they're very much relying on this bucket of six as a cheat sheet. But as the weeks go on, people don't rely on that so much. Now they have start to have natural curiosity kicking in that tells them to explore these areas, even without looking at the list. Cool. So, you know, wow. Like, so, yeah. So I think, yeah, people don't, again, think about their other layer of, you know, like the, just the other dynamic around you know, going deeper on certain things, right? Like, I, I think that's like such a great thing. Like, is it in the past? Is it now? Is it in the future? Because yeah, change is, is you know, it's it's subtle. Like, you know, the, the, the change, you know, sometimes like the cues maybe to the change are subtle. People don't want to, you know, admit to, uh, you know, change is scary. They don't want to admit to like, if, you know, if they're admitting to needing to change, then maybe that's a fault on them or something. So they don't divulge like, you know, maybe, you know, maybe a current change or um, it's easier maybe for past, you know, changes to, cause you, you know, that was in the past and, or, but, you know, future is easier maybe because it's like, oh, it's like, it's not right now. So I got time to, to, to deal with that. Um, but with that, it's, it's kind of actually putting them in these different places and asking them to explain it and, um, you know, yeah, bring you in a little bit into to their world. And then you're, you're kind of, you know, yeah, you're, you're starting to do it naturally after you're, you're kind of practicing it. So, yeah. And, and I can say that, you know, with being the, the, the co-founder of this thing, I've done that exercise many times, right. Over the years, each time we run a cohort, I do the exercise and it has gotten to the point where an average everyday conversation, I'll, I'll meet one of my wife's friends and they'll mention like, oh yeah, I'm thinking of going back to school for blank. 
And suddenly my brain explodes with six different questions, right? Around why not, right? Why do you want to do this? What is it about that field that interests you? Why now in particular, right? And what happens if you don't go back to school? And what, you know, who else is this going to impact? Do you just want to do this for yourself or do you want to do this for others in your community or your family? Suddenly, just naturally, without being bidden, an explosion of curiosity happens when people share this small little fact like, oh, I'm going back to school. Yeah, and that never used to happen, so. right? I used to just hear the fact, note the fact and say, okay, great. I'll save that for later. You want to go back to school? Done. Yeah. Do an exercise level where it's like, yeah, you know, yeah, cool. Like what, what for? And they tell you that's awesome. Like how long is it going to take you? I don't know. Like probably four years, something like that. Nice. That's awesome. You know, good luck on that, you know? <laughs> well, and you, you almost bring up a, a good point there too. There's something else we learned from doing these. I don't think it's that people don't in sales conversations don't have any curiosity. Right. If their curiosity is attuned to the wrong stuff. Stuff that doesn't really yeah. make much of a difference. The yes. example that happened in the exercise is I was watching one partner talk to someone about a change they want to make in their life. And the change they want to make in their life was eating healthier. And again, as the observer, my mind's exploding with questions like, do they want to do this for their physical health, for their mental health, for their longevity, for any particular athletic or hobby-based goals? Are they doing this for them? Are they doing this for their family and their loved ones? Like, again, my mind's exploding with all these questions. And the partner asks, oh, what kind of restaurants are in your area that deliver? They answer. And the person asks, oh, what do you usually order when you get takeout? So this person's curiosity was operating. It was making them curious. And they were asking about the thing they were curious about. But ultimately, if you're trying to motivate someone to make a change in their life, you don't ask them what restaurants are down the street and what they order for takeout, right? You ask them, how will 80-year-old you think about this decision about whether or not to exercise? How will your children think about this decision of whether or not to exercise, right? Like, how will this affect your mind? How will this affect your emotions? How will this affect your performance at work? How will this affect your ability to engage in hobbies? That's what you should be curious about if someone tells you, they want to exercise. And if you're trying to motivate them to exercise, that's what you ask about. So part of training curiosity is just getting that feeling back and, at all. So for some people, that feeling just is kind of tame and mute and in the background. But then part of it is too, is training your curiosity to be curious about impactful stuff. Because if you're just curious about what they get for takeout, you're never going to motivate anyone to make a change. And that I a lot of times is what I see happening in real discovery calls, where the rep might actually spend 20 minutes asking their prospect questions rather than pitching, which is good. But at the end of it, you're like, what information did you get? <laughs> and why does this matter? It ultimately doesn't help progress the sale. And also the buyer can kind of sense too, why the hell are you asking me these questions? These aren't helpful, right? And they don't help the buyer returning to what we talked about earlier. Those type of questions don't help the buyer better understand the situation. So therefore it's kind of a waste of the buyer's time. It's a pure take that the seller does of just taking information and the buyer is left in the same situation they were. I think the real mark of a discovery call that went well is when you help your buyer to think new thoughts they haven't thought before. If every question you ask them, they immediately know the answer. That means you weren't thinking about this any deeper than they did. And you aren't helping them to think about the situation any deeper than they did. At which point they haven't benefited at all from this conversation. You may be benefited as a seller, but they haven't. They've just been giving, giving, giving the whole time. The moment you ask a question that makes them go, huh, you know, I hadn't thought about that before. That's a good question. Now the conversation is serving them. Now they're better off for having had this conversation with you because now they understand the situation better. And typically those are the questions that actually help you advance the sale, build a business case and inspire change. It's typically those questions. Yeah. But again, if you don't I mean, have fine-tuned curiosity, it's hard to get to those questions. Yeah, no. I mean, um, I think for anyone listening to this, like they're probably hearing like, man, like I just want to, you know, practice all these questions. But I, I think it, you know, kind of boils down to just, you know, wanting to, you know, truly understand what's important in this, you know, kind of change. And, you know, someone maybe, you know, thinks they know what's important, but, you know, by, by asking you're, you're really kind of like helping them. You're not stating to them what's important you're helping them discover what's important themselves. You're not even leading them down a certain path. You're just trying to pull on certain threads that you think might be important. And based on their answers, then you're kind of also trying to, you know, um, help them, you know, maybe see something that they hadn't, you know, seen before. They're seeing around a blind spot that they hadn't seen before, because that's the, that's the best, right? You know, because we, we all don't, we, 
if we could change, if we could be healthier, we would, you know, we wouldn't maybe need to talk to anybody about it. Right. Like we would just do it. But if you're asking them, like, you know, my mind goes like, yeah, if you want to be healthier for what, like to do what to like, why does doing that matter? What's, what's important? Like you said, your family are, you know, what would it mean for you? Like, what would it mean for your kids? Like, how would your life change? What would it look like? You know, all of those things get to kind of someone to kind of talk it out themselves, you know, and by talking it out themselves, then they're like, huh, like you said, I didn't, you know what, I, that's a great question. You know, I, I really probably just thought about it a little bit, but I hadn't gone into detail and like, you're making me think about it more than I would have, you know, kind of like ending off. I know we're kind of getting towards the end here. What do you hope that, you know, kind of like, you know, after people taking this, you know, kind of like this practice, you know, what do you, what do you hope that organizations will, will want to do, you know, um, with, in terms of like practicing these skills, like, what do you think like your future world might look like, uh, the, or the sales world might look like in a few years, um, you know, by, by, you know, by practicing at, at, uh, at scale. I think my biggest wish for the sales community and profession is for there to be a widespread recognition of the gap between knowing and doing right. The gap between intellectually understanding what good looks like and actually having the skills needed to pull it off in a real conversation. Cause when I look at every enablement team I've ever worked with, they seem to think their entire job is just to put the right information in front of reps. When you look mm-hmm. at traditional sales training, which is a multi-billion dollar industry, it's all predicated on the idea that all your sales team needs is for someone to show up, explain to them so they understand it, what good selling looks like. And that's all that's needed. Then your reps can go do it. But what I found in my career is that I can have someone explain to me what good selling looks like. I can intellectually understand in my mind what good looks like, why it's so effective. And I can pass a test in a, in a learning system about what good looks like. But when it actually comes to that real conversation, right? When, when that person tells me, you know, they want to eat healthier. The question is, do I have the skill set to A, think of the right questions to ask? But then B, do I have the skill set to be able to put that general sense of curiosity into an effective question that's well-worded? And then C, do I have the skill set necessary to deliver that in the right tone, pace, pitch, volume so that it doesn't trigger defensiveness? Like there's a lot of skill that goes into actually doing things. And my biggest hope for the sales industry is that we, we come to recognize that because the whole industry right now, again, is based on this idea that if reps only understood what good selling looked like, that's all they need, then they can go be good sellers. And that's just not the case. Again, no more than understanding what makes for good gym- gymnastics does not make me a good gymnast. Studying music theory and understanding what makes for good music does not make me a good pianist. So why the heck would reading Gap Selling by Keenan and understanding what good discovery looks like suddenly make me good at actually running these good discoveries? And yeah, the practice lab is kind of built to solve that problem. So of course, we'll be happy to help companies out as they make that change. But truthfully, this is bigger than us, right? I just want the whole industry to make that perspective shift so that reps can start getting the support they need to actually grow their skills rather than just having training thrown at them. And, you know, they thinking and their managers thinking it's something wrong with them because they aren't implementing. Yeah, very well said. Jonathan, um, I'm so glad that you said that and, you know, that you came on, you talked about it. Um, you know, this is a fun question about you um, and, and maybe what makes you unique and, you know, how you connect on a human level to, 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 to all of us. Um, so, um, you know, take it whenever direction you want. But when I say to you, Jonathan, you know, what is just something that's completely and totally you, something that, you know, could only and would only happen to you? Um, you know, what, it, what is that one thing? What comes to mind? It's if, if you're, if I asked your wife, like, what's just something that is totally you, what would, what would she tell me? Um, because, you know, I think that, you know, sometimes like we don't realize the, these, these unique things about all of us that we all share. Hmm. I think one thing that is very distinct to me, you know, not unique by any means, but a uh, strong trait of mine is once I like have a realization and understand something, I tend to just go all out in implementing it. So, you know, once I learned a fair amount about eating and diet and all of that stuff, pretty much immediately I started making a transition to a healthier diet and I haven't went back and I'm probably never going to go back because once I understand, once I know, I latch onto it. 
heck, this business is an example of that, right? There was a, a journey in my sales career where I started to realize the gap between knowing and doing and started to realize the value of practice. And once I realized it, I couldn't just go back to the old ways, right? I see this too in my life when I learn about different aspects of injustice that exist in the world, right? Once I see them, once I recognize them, I can't go back to the same way again. And I just change. I make changes in my life. I make changes in my behaviors, my my, my thoughts, my words, everything. Um, so some folks, you know, tend to see it as going a bit extreme, right? It's like, oh, God damn it. John just learned about one other thing. I wonder how our lives are going to change now, because now that he knows that thing, he's no longer going to act in the way he used to. So I tend to be pretty extreme. Um, where once I, once I learn something, once I know there's a better way, I don't, I don't go back. Cool. I love it. Well, thank you very much. Where can people find you, connect with you, all that good stuff? Yeah. So my LinkedIn page, of course, I'm Jonathan Mahan on LinkedIn. I'm the only guy who has a practice lab, a banner <laughs> in my background. <laughs> um, you can go there. You can see my content. Um, there's a, a, a event we do every month for free called Wheel of Objections, where we teach people a very human centric approach to responding to objections in such a way that it leads to decreased resistance, increased receptivity, and ultimately keeps the conversation going. And of course, in true practice lab fashion, the teaching portion of that event is only like 15 minutes. We spend the rest of that event engaged in actual practice rounds where you get to practice this behavior on so that when you have a real objection, uh, you know, it's, it's a second nature behavior. So that's a free event we do once a month. Uh, I have like in my featured section, the link to that is there. Also, folks can go to the website. The website is thepracticelab.co. There, you can apply for our cohort. Our cohort is going to be launching in January. And again, that's what I talked about, where it's going to cover skills ranging from early phases of a sales cycle, like discovery calls on through demos and into late stage sales cycles, like negotiation. It's a 12-week program where you're going to spend an hour a week engaged in practice. Also on the website, though, you'll see kind of a link to that Wheel of Objections event, too. So it doesn't really matter if you want to go through the website or go through my LinkedIn profile. Either way, you can register for that event for free. Uh, we do that like the third Wednesday of every month. So it's going to be one middle of November and one middle of December. I love it. Wheel of Objections. I love the, the title. Uh, Jonathan, thanks so much for, for joining. Uh, you know, all of the info will be in the notes. And um, yeah, just, you know, thanks so much for for some of the insights today. I, I agree. I hope we all you know, kind of bridge and at least recognize the gap between knowing and actually doing and through practice, uh, do more of the doing. Um, so thanks for, for, for giving us some ways to do that today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, man. Hey gang. All right. Wow. You made it to the end. I know your time is valuable. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for spending your time here with me. If you heard a quote you liked, got a quick bit of value, or you have an idea that can help convince others to join, I urge you to take a minute and leave a five-star rating and review. That helps us gain influence and bring some really great guests on to add even more value to you and others. You can also always contact me directly to tell me your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you. All my info is in the notes. Let's help convince anyone that they have the ability to sell well just by being great humans. And this podcast is proof. All right. See you on the next episode of Stories of Selling Human.